Hello everyone, welcome to Made to Dream. I'm your host, Maya Chanel, and here we share stories from women around the world to inspire, empower, and encourage women and young girls to dream without limitations. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Ms. Tiffany Johnson, who is a best-selling author, a keynote speaker, a podcast host, and has her own her own business called When We Are Brave, which is also the name of her podcast. So I'm so excited to get to know more about her and her story. So hi, Tiffany. How are you doing today? Hi, thank you for having me. It's so exciting, especially today because it's election day for you and there's a lot of energy in the world around what's happening in the state. So I'm thrilled to be here. So I'm from Australia. I live in Melbourne, which is down the bottom of Australia. It's cold down where I live. And oh I'm a, yeah, <laughs> a bit different. Um, so I'm the best-selling author of the memoir, uh, Brave Enough Now. I have my podcast, When We Are Brave, and my business, When We Are Brave. And the whole purpose of what I do is to empower people to be brilliantly brave as their authentic self so that they can live their best and bravest life. And I came to be in that position after I had a life-changing and transformative experience, which I share in my best-selling book, Brave Enough Now. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. So walk us through this journey a little bit. How did you get started um, and get to where you are today? So my journey starts a long time ago, 21 years ago, and I was 17. And I love this podcast and talking about my story in this because it is about also young women. And I was a young woman at the time. I was 17, finishing high school, and I had all these options laid out in front of me, but I felt like there was a missing puzzle piece within me. I just didn't know what that missing puzzle piece was. And so instead of doing the thing that I really longed to do, which was some form of art, I didn't believe that I was good enough to do it, even though I got accepted into a major college in Australia. I chose to go to university interstate thinking if I moved away that maybe I would find this thing that I was looking for. I just couldn't work out what it was. Some time went by at university, I was working in a job and this man came to the coffee machine counter and I had feelings inside of me that's... I didn't even know these feelings existed. Like, do you remember that really first intense mm-hmm. chemistry moment as a young woman? You're like, oh, oh, what, what is this? <laughs> you out and oh, you're flustered. And, you can't. <laughs> and it was like that. And within a week, we moved in together. And then it was just this loved up romance and wonderful. And I thought maybe this was the missing puzzle piece that I've been looking for within myself. Mm-hmm. But in three months time, that beautiful relationship turned into a toxic heated mess. And I had no idea how to get out of it. I'd moved away from my family, my friends. He was incredibly controlling, manipulative. Two two years went by and I'd become anorexic. We'd had a death in our family and I was finally allowed to go home. And so I went home and I stood in my bedroom as I'd grown up in as a child and I looked in the mirror and I saw this woman in front of me that I did not recognise. And I just thought how far I had fallen when I left to find that one thing, every single Mm -hmm. piece of me had fallen away. Right. So so with some new renewed energy from being back with my family, I went back to our our beautiful love nest, which was anything but a love nest. And I found (laughs) him in bed with two of my friends, which was actually a blessing because even though I got this renewed strength, I was ready to leave, but that gave me the permission to leave. And Mm -hmm. I did. I went to a tropical island 
I was riddled with shame, self-doubt, high anxiety. I was hiding behind shadows of alcohol. I just kept drinking to hide, to find that mask because I just couldn't face who I'd become and what I'd let happen to me. Slowly but surely, he'd recontacted me, the love, the promises, that everything will be wonderful. And I just wasn't sure what to do. I was so confused. I was walking home one night on the island and two men started stalking me and I was nearly raped, but I managed to escape. The next day, the phone call came from the boyfriend again and he said he was going overseas. And I said, do you want to book a ticket for two? Because I thought it was better the devil you know than the devil you don't know. And so we went overseas. And, you know, the promises of love and marriage. And I just wanted what we'd had that very first time in those first three months I desperately wanted that back again Mm -hmm. and I just knew in my heart of hearts that it was never going to happen I had that underlying feeling of foreboding like something bad was going to happen and I just kept pushing it aside and as women we're so intuitive and we're so so able to connect with who we really are and yet our circumstances our expectations put upon us we feel like we just have to ignore that inner voice that says mm-hmm. to us, this Our is gut is always right. <laughs> it is always right, girlfriend. It is so right. And I was not listening. <laughs> he, he convinced me to open up a joint bank account for when we were married and it would be amazing. And then I found a letter from his married lover addressed to him asking, when are they going to get rid of me? And thanking him for the airline ticket he had bought her to meet him overseas. When I checked for phone banking, because this is back in 1999, Uh all my money was gone. And I realised once and for all that enough was enough and I left. But now I was on the other side of the world, homeless and with nowhere to go and no idea what to do still riddled with shame so angry at myself for having allowed this to happen I was so anxious I felt like the whole world was conspiring against me Mm -hmm. I rang home and I'd never told my parents the exact nature of the relationship because of that shame it sits Mm -hmm. on your shoulders like a crate of rocks and coal it's so heavy weighing you down and I didn't want to let my parents down so when I called and told my mum that all my money was gone and I had nowhere to go and I don't know what to do next she said well darling you can't go to the other side of the world and have a terrible time go and book a (laughs) Kentucky tour go and go and live live right (laughs) don't sing your sorrows (laughs) oh yeah absolutely that's my mum and so I did. I booked a Kentucky tour. Now, a Kentucky tour is a bus trip. It's targeted at 18 to 35-year-olds. So it was all people my own age. And it's like a speed dating of the countries around Europe. Mm. And they do it in the States wow. and Australia and a few other places. I did not know that. Yeah, it is. It was you learn really something fun. new every day. Yeah, you do. You do. So I got on this bus. And I'd held up the bus for two hours because I had the wrong paperwork. And all the boys at the back of the bus were cheering and yahooing me. And I just was humiliated in the first five minutes and I you know when you're already struggling with all of those mental health issues to then know that you're about to spend 30 days with a group of people who you don't know is terrifying Mm -hmm. and so I just wanted to find a rock and crawl under it and never come out again but slowly those onion layers of myself started to fall away and we cut to Tuscany which sounds incredibly romantic and amazing and it was 
and we were driving through this beautiful scenery and there were all these sunflowers and I was so longing to share it with someone, anyone, but everyone was asleep. This, there was one girl awake on the bus and she looked up at the same time I looked up and we sat next to each other and we started to open our hearts. We started to share. We started to embrace each other. We had no idea who the other was. And we just had nothing but total acceptance and love for each other. It was a kindred spirit moment. And that trust and love and honoring of each other was the beginning of my recovery into who I, and the learning and the opening up of who I really was. Mm. When we got to Switzerland, I got to, I went up to the Swiss Alps, which are just amazing. And we went up to Jungfrau, which is the highest train station in the world. And it's where there's a glacier. And I'd never seen snow. And I stood on this mountain covered in snow. And I held this snow in my hands, which is old snow. It's like glacier. It's like dinosaur snow. (laughs) And I was like, you know, if these mountains can stand the test of time, if they can withstand dinosaurs and blizzards and mankind, then maybe, maybe I can do this too. Maybe it's okay mm. to have made my mistakes right. and maybe yeah. it's okay to love me and maybe it's okay to have the gifts that I have. Maybe it's okay every single piece of me. Maybe all of that is okay. And I finally found that missing puzzle piece that I'd been looking for, which was self-love and self-acceptance. And it was liberating Mm -hmm. the next day we were going that's my children about to go to school (laughs) the next day we were going canyoning now canyoning is an adventure sport it's in a canyon there's um there's water running down you use harnesses life vests helmets I was so excited because I had this newfound love of life I had this newfound love of myself I was full of adrenaline I was ready to take Mm -hmm. life with the horns yeah (laughs) and when we got into this beautiful canyon, it was the water was crystal clear. It looked like diamonds and the leaves were sparkling and it had this slight breeze and it was like the Garden of Eden. We wow. got halfway down the canyon and I was standing next to one of my friends and I said to her in this moment as I looked down, I saw that the water had risen from my ankle to my knee in a matter of seconds and it was a murky, muddy brown, not the beautiful white crystal water that had been mm-hmm. flowing before. And I said to her, why is the water rising? And she said, I don't know. And in that moment, our guide said to us, we have to move fast. And I took that jump. When I came up for air from wearing my life vest, because we were fully kitted out with life vests and helmets and everything, because mm-hmm. it, it, it is an adventure sport. Right. There was a guide in the waterhole and he reached his hand out to me and the sound was like thunder. It was deafening. And our hands slipped like that and I was sucked under the rapids and I was washed away. In that moment, I didn't know this, but a four-metre wall of water came down, hitting all of my friends. And in my group of 12, only three of us survived. Wow. As I was washed away, I just heard my father's voice come into my head saying, if ever you get caught in floodwaters, just relax and stay calm. Water is stronger than us all. And in Mm -hmm. that moment, I completely surrendered. I surrendered everything and just went floppy and let go and was thrown around like being in a washing machine, coming up the snippets of air as I could. Eventually, I was pushed by a giant log into a massive boulder and I was looking back up towards where the water was coming from. Mm -hmm. I looked to my right and I saw my friends' lifeless bodies floating over the rapids. And then I looked to my left and I saw the bank 
and it was beautiful and green, but it was just too far away and I knew that I could never make it. And mm. in that moment, my life flashed before me. I saw almost like snapshots of a postcard or, or a Polaroid snap. Mm-hmm. I saw me as a little girl being bullied at school when I was only seven or eight. I saw me as a teen girl who didn't feel like I belonged with that missing puzzle piece of me. And there was me in that horrendous relationship and I never deserved to be treated that way. And right. I tried to change everything about me to make it right. And that was never my fault. And mm-hmm. no one should ever make you feel that you have to be different to who you are to be loved. Mm-hmm. And then I saw me on the mountain the day before holding that snow, feeling that self-love. And I didn't want to die having been that girl. I wanted to mm-hmm. live being the girl on the mountain. And so I thought if I stayed by that boulder, another boulder or another giant log will come down and hit me in the head and I'd be crushed or knocked unconscious. The water was lapping at my chin. The water could keep Mm -hmm. rising. I'd drown. And so I wiggled free and let go. Mm -hmm. I was tumbled and turned again and it it kept going. I went over a kilometre in down through the canyon and I came to a point where I thought, this is it. I have absolutely no air left. And the next mouthful I take is going to be water. And in that mm-hmm. moment, I prayed. I prayed to God and I prayed to my aunt who died that time before saying, please, dear God, please, Auntie die. don't let me die because if I die, mum won't cope. And in that moment, whether it was a giant wave or an angel or God, I will never know. But my entire body spread up out of the water and my whole torso was up out of the water and I saw this enormous, more than 20 metre wide waterfall. There's a photo of the waterfall on my website and mm-hmm. I went over that waterfall. When I came up for air again, I was in this tiny little alcove next to the waterfall. It was crystal clear and I made my way over to the edge and was able to get out. This disaster stole the lives of 21 young people. It was the one of the largest ever natural disasters in Switzerland. Mm. There was a flash flood that came down. The company that took us canyoning that day were found to be guilty because they'd been warned to not go that day. I had mm. lifelong injuries. I'm type 1 diabetic on an insulin pump. I had a broken leg. My tibia was split in half from my ankle to my knee. I had four broken ribs, a dislocated jaw, which I've since had surgery on, soft tissue damage to both of my legs, which still caused me trouble most days. And I had post-traumatic stress disorder and survivor's guilt. And I went and sought the right help probably about 12 months after the disaster Mm. to really find someone who specialized in PTSD because the trauma that I'd experienced was extreme. I became suicidal, depressed. I just couldn't understand why I had been left. Why had I been left and not taken that day? Because surely I thought life would be easier if I had have died because it was Mm -hmm. just too hard to face what I was facing. But what I learned through all of that was the blessing of gratitude and knowing how important it is to be your authentic self. Because had I not had that moment by the boulder, then perhaps, Mm -hmm. or had I not had that moment on the mountain the day before, then perhaps I would never have made the choices that I made. And I knew that my life was destined for more was destined Mm. for greatness. And I felt like I had to live this big life. I had to live this amazing life for all the people that had perished and for my friends that had died. And I had to have a big wedding and be the best mother I could be and do the best at business and the best at everything and study hard and do this and do that. And 
But what I actually learned is that I have to do it for me because mm -hmm. if I can't do it for me, if I can't embrace who I am, if I don't energize my own self, then I can't serve anybody else. And that includes them. And so I now work empowering people to believe in themselves because I truly, truly believe that when you do believe in yourself, that magic comes your way and it spreads like wildfire for others to join in. And that was the magical moment on the mountain and in the canyon and the years following. Wow. That is like a movie, honestly. <laughs> it's like a movie like that wouldn't happen to like most people in a million years. And it's like you've experienced all of this and still been able to overcome, achieve. And I applaud you for being able to take those measures, like going first and seeking help because a lot of people, it's hard for them to do that. Even when they know that they're hurting and they're experiencing those different types of trauma. So that is very commendable. Like that's an amazing story, an amazing story. So out of all of that, what would you say are your top three lessons that you've learned along that journey? I've always got, I always, um, I love this question because I've got so many tips and it's picking which ones are the best. So mm -hmm. uh, I talk a lot about journaling. Journaling was imperative in my healing. And, and I say that as a tool and a resource for others because it's easy to do. You can do it on your phone. You can do it on a scrap piece of paper. But what it does is it gets the it gets the emotions of what you're feeling out of you. And it's when you're able to face who you are. It's that yeah. what I learned was I needed to face my fears. I needed to face the challenges of what I'd been through. I needed to move through it. I couldn't just put it in a box and hide it away forever for no one to ever see because that wasn't me. That made me. That experience has molded me in ways I could never have foreseen. And so honouring my experience and using the tool of journaling have really been invaluable one of the lessons that I've learned another mm. lesson that I learned was to keep your tribe close to you and love them and fill them with everything that you have and they will do the same to you and that's why I talk about that moment with that girl in on the bus she's actually my best friend to this day she's wow. my kindred spirit I even moved interstate to be near her and so having those support people around you my family my special friends as people in my life, people come and go in all of our lives. But if someone really touches your soul and you feel that special connection to them, don't ignore it and really, really listen to the people that are around you and love you and hold you up because that tribe can hold you in the best of times and the worst of times. And that support network is invaluable as well. And the other tool is, or the other thing that I learned was to listen to your intuition the day of the canyoning disaster, I that feeling that I'd had at the beginning of my trip where that was this bad feeling, that gut instinct, mm -hmm. it was in overdrive the day of the canyon. Right. And now I do not ever ignore the warning signs, ever. I might get a really good feeling about something, but, oh, let's do this today. It'll be amazing. And everyone look at me going, why? And I'll be like, come on, just trust me, let's go. And it kind of might be a little bit sporadic for some people or it might not feel completely planned all the time, but you have to listen to your gut instinct because there's a reason that it is there and there's a reason that you're being given those messages within your own being. Like you said, woman's intuition, don't ever ignore it. And that is just such a blessing when you can actually connect to that gut instinct. 
I love it. I love it. I totally agree. You know, as women, we have to trust ourselves, uh, know our power and know our value as well. So those are three very good tips that you just mentioned. Um, If you had to say one thing to women and girls around the world to inspire them to dream without limitations, what would it be? Oh, it would be the quote that I just said before. It would be believe in yourself because when you do, magic absolutely will come your way and it will spread like wildfire for everyone else to join in. I love it. I love it. So I want to give you the opportunity to allow the audience to know if um, they want to contact you for services, be a part of your tribe or just follow your journey. How can they do that? You can contact me at whenwearebrave.com. There's the podcast, whenwearebrave.com, available on all podcasting platforms. You can get copies of my signed book, which I've got here, which is my book, Brave Enough Now. Awesome. It's, a, it's been a best-selling number one on and off for the last 12 months. And it's available as an audiobook, an ebook, and a paperback book. And if you wanted to work with me one-on-one, you can also go to whenwearebrave.com. And, you know, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and Tiffany Johnson author everywhere, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Twitter, <laughs> all of those <laughs> things. And I've also got a beautiful, talking about tribes and communities, I've got a beautiful Facebook group that I just am so honoured to have these beautiful people involved as people all over the world who are looking for resilience and courage and connection, real genuine connection. And I know perhaps a few years ago in particular, people would talk about, you know, online friends and not even a real person, you know, who are these people. But I know for a fact, especially this year with COVID, we are all looking for more connection. And one of the ways that we can do that is through these groups that we've all forming and these tribes of like-minded individuals. And there are people in that Brave Hearts group that have had life transforming situations occur because of the Brave Hearts Facebook group. So if you're mm-hmm. looking to find a tribe of people that are wanting inspiration, empowerment, looking for resilience, and then this Brave Hearts Facebook group is a beautiful way to connect with others. I love it. I love it. Well, we thank you so much. That story was amazing. I love it. Love it. Love it. You just been able to persevere and go through so many things and come out shining, inspiring, and just motivating women and other people around the world just through your story. It's powerful. So we do thank you for coming here and sharing your story with us today. We thank everyone once again for tuning in. This is Made to Dream. I'm your host, Maya Chanel, and we'll see you next time.